One of the finest authors in Christendom today, Ron Rhodes, has published a new book about the eight greatest debates concerning the meaning of end-time Bible prophecy. Stay tuned for a fascinating and informative discussion of these eight controversial issues. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am delighted to have as our special guest this week Dr. Ron Rhodes, who is a prolific writer and a good one about many spiritual topics, including Bible prophecy. Welcome to Christ in Prophecy, brother. Good to see you, man. Always good to have you on this program. And uh, Nathan, why don't you uh, just start off by introducing him? In fact, let me introduce Nathan. Nathan is, uh, of course, the, for those of you who are regular viewers, know that Nathan is our co-host on this program and our web minister. So go ahead and introduce him. It's a pleasure. I love to introduce you at conferences, and it's oh. a pleasure to introduce you now, folks. If you're regular viewers of our program, then you're already familiar with Dr. Ron Rhodes because he has been our guest on this program quite several times and in conferences. He's the founder and director of a ministry called Reasoning from the Scriptures. His ministry is located in Frisco, Texas, and it specializes in defending Christianity against atheists, agnostics, skeptics, the cults, world religions, and about any group that teaches false doctrine. Now, Ron has written more than 70 books, more than the Bible, (laughs) and his latest one is this one, The Eight Great Debates of Bible Prophecy. Ron, this is a fantastic book, and I'm so glad you're coming on the show to talk about it. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, I saw some magazine that said, somebody's locked Ron Rhodes in a closet with a typewriter. That's not true. (laughs) But I do love to write, and so I write every morning, and there's nothing I like to write more about than Bible prophecy, because Bible prophecy is one of the things that led me to the Lord way back when I was a teenager. Great. I had never heard of it before, but once I heard it, I wanted in. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. We have Dr. Ron Rhodes as our guest, and we are going to interview him about his latest book. It's called The Eight Great Debates of Bible Prophecy. Dr. Rhodes, uh, the the very first chapter in here has to do with something that is one of my pet peeves, and that is people spiritualizing uh, uh, prophecy to make it mean what they want it to mean. Now, your very first issue that you uh, uh, address here is whether or not we should interpret prophecy literally or allegorically. How about it? Well, you know, there's a reason why I included that first, because what you believe about that issue will determine where you end up on everything else. If you interpret prophecy literally, well, you're going to come out in one place, but if you spiritualize prophecy, you can end up in any number of different places, because there's no subjective or objective check on that. But people always jump on that and say, yeah, but there's a lot of uh, symbolic uh, stuff in prophecy. Well, that's true, but let me just tell you my policy. My policy is that when the plain sense makes good (laughs) sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up in nonsense. That's right. And when I follow that policy, there's one inevitable conclusion that I come to. And that is that if you want to understand how God is going to fulfill prophecy in the future... Take a look at how God has fulfilled prophecy in the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, in the Old Testament, we've got over a hundred messianic prophecies that foretell the first coming of Christ, and they were all fulfilled literally. We're talking about the virgin birth, Isaiah 714, 
Christ will be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. He will be pierced for our sins, Zechariah 12.10, Isaiah 53. From the line of Abraham, you know, Genesis 12, and on and on I could go. But the point is, I believe that the second coming prophecies and all the events that lead up to the second coming, all those will be just as literal as those that dealt with the first coming. And even Jesus. if the prophecy is symbolic, it has some literal meaning. Well, that's right. You know, and often the Bible tells you what that meaning is. That's right. Like if you're in the book of Revelation as an example, there are symbols yes. that's common in apocalyptic literature. But those symbols are defined either in the immediate context or in the broader context of the whole of Scripture. Uh, one of my old uh, uh, you know, friends, as well as former uh, teachers at Dallas Seminary, used to tell me that if you want to understand the book of Revelation, and you've got six months to do it, spend the first three months in the Old Testament, and then spend the last three months in the book of Revelation, because many of the symbols are defined for us. I, I, I think of the uh, place in the book of Revelation where it says that the Jews are going to flee on the wings of a great eagle. And people say, aha, an eagle is a symbol of the United States. We're going to provide the end time airlift for oh, the Jews. But you, the very same terminology right. is used in the Old Testament about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. That just means God's protection. Well, you see, I think that Jesus took safeguards on making sure that uh, we didn't misunderstand things. Uh, for example, the symbols that are used in the first part of Revelation about the stars in Christ's hand and the golden lampstands, those are clearly defined for us in the context. And the same thing is in the book of Daniel. There's some symbols there, but those symbols are, are, are really defined for us within the context itself. Now that indicates to me that you should always test your interpretation according to the Scriptures. Don't read your modern newspaper into the Bible. There you go. Your first policy is to understand what the Bible says and then interpret modern events. And I'm always reminded of uh, Henry Morris in his book Revelation uh, uh, Record where he starts off by saying, the reason I wrote this book is because people say the book of Revelation is hard to understand. He said, it is not hard to understand, it's hard to believe. If you will believe it, you will understand it. Nathan, let's go to the second one. Well, I love this line you have here at the end of that chapter. We cannot expect objective consistency among those who use a subjective methodology. Well, that's right. I mean, these people who use like a spiritualized approach to interpreting the Bible can end up anywhere. Yeah, they make it up as they go. And that's why I want to ask you the second debate that you have, are Israel and the church distinct in Bible prophecy? Now, this is a hugely debated item, it whether it's called replacement theology, whether the church has replaced Israel. Why is that important to the interpretation of Bible prophecy? Well, it's important because Bible prophecy is intimately related to the biblical covenant, such as the Abrahamic covenant, in Genesis 12 and the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. But these are unconditional covenants. Yes. Now what I mean by an unconditional covenant is that there's nothing that Israel has to do in order for God to fulfill His covenant promises. If it was a conditional covenant, then Israel would be responsible to do this in order for God to do that. Mm-hmm. But that's not what those co- covenants are. Instead, those covenants are unconditional covenants where God promises to do certain things for Israel and Israel doesn't have to do anything in return. They're unconditional. Now here's the question. Is God telling the truth? Yes. Is God a promise keeper? Now if you answer yes to those questions, you have no choice but to accept the reality that God has made unconditional promises to Israel and they will be fulfilled. Now here's something really important. There's a lot of people that argue that the church fulfills the promises that are made to Israel. And they go to the New Testament to prove it. Okay, I'm game to going to the New Testament. <laughs> Let's look at the book of Acts. Even in the book of Acts, you've got the church that is mentioned 19 times and Israel is mentioned 20 times. Israel and the church are still distinct in the book of Acts. Romans 9? Romans 9 through 11. 11. The I mean, Apostle Paul talks about, about how there's still a future for Israel. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, there's other verses, 1 Corinthians 10.32, where uh, you know, Paul is talking about not causing a stumbling block for Jews or for Gentiles or for uh, the church. The, the point that I'm making to you is that even in New Testament times, the church and Israel are distinct. And it's my personal belief that uh, God's plan for the Jewish people, those covenants that, or God made those promises, will ultimately be fulfilled in the future millennial kingdom. And I think that's when the land promises of the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled, and that's when the throne promises in, in regard to Christ reigning on the throne of David will be fulfilled as well. And, and this is a very serious issue because uh, the vast majority of Christendom today, Catholics and Protestants yeah. believe in replacement theology. They, they argue that the, the Jews were not faithful and therefore God washed His hands of them, has no purpose left for them, and the church has inherited all of their uh, blessings. You know there's a couple of things I can say about that, Dave. First of all, did you know that many of the promises made in the covenants continued to be repeated throughout the entire Old Testament? Now if Israel was unfaithful in that first couple of years after the covenant was made, and therefore Israel was no longer a recipient of those promises. How come those same promises continue to get repeated over and over again throughout Old Testament history? Mm -hmm. The second point I want to make to you is that I consider replacement theology not just doctrinally aberrant, but dangerous. Oh, it is. It's dangerous because it affects the way that people view Israel today. Well, it's it's the it's the foundation stone of anti-Semitism. It is. It is. And one of the concerns that I have is the church moving away from supporting Israel. And how does that relate to the Abrahamic covenant? Doesn't the Abrahamic covenant tell us that if we bless Israel, that God will bless us, and that if we turn away from Israel, that God will turn away from us? I think that's what happens again that? and again every time we, we do something to Israel, like take away the Gaza Strip, or we send uh, politicians over to force a two-state yeah. solution. We seem to get hit by remedial judgments upon our country. And that Israel even exists as a nation again, should it kill replacement theology, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's the nation exists. What nation comes back after 1900 years? Yeah, exactly. Well, let's move on to the third uh, debate, and that is what can we know about the signs of the times? What do you mean by the term signs of the times? Well, I like to describe the signs of the times as God's intel in advance. <laughs> God's like intel in advance. You know, God tells us what things are going to be like in the end times before, mm-hmm. Christ, you know, before Christ comes again and before Christ comes for us. And uh, in terms of the signs of the times, Dave, you already know that I like to talk about what I call the convergence factor. I think that's important, yeah. And what I mean by that is that I don't just think there's one prophecy that's coming to pass in our day. I don't think that there's just two prophecies that are coming to pass in our day. I think that there are multiple prophecies in our day either coming to pass or the stage is being set for them to come to pass. And they're all converging in our day. For the first time ever. For the first time ever. What are and some of these signs that you're Well, for example, about? the thing that got it started was the rebirth of Israel back in 1948. That's a big one. That's super the, sign. That's right? the super yeah. sign. Super and we see that back in Ezekiel 36 and 37. And the thing is, is that right after it talks about Israel being reborn as a nation, the text goes on to say that following that, Jewish people would be streaming back to the Holy Land from every nation in the world. That's never happened before in human history. Uh-uh. You know, when Israel was in bondage to Babylon, the Jews streamed from Babylon only back into Israel. Well, the scriptures say that after Israel is born again in the last days, that Jewish people from all over the world will continue to stream back to the Holy Land. And that's been happening decade by decade, year by year, ever since then. Now, the text goes on to say right there in Ezekiel that sometime after you know, Israel is reborn after a nation, there would be a military coalition that would emerge in the north, and that this military coalition would move against Israel. 
And when you look at the nations that make up that coalition, we're talking about Iran and Sudan and Libya and all the nations that are up and around the, the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, and all those stand nations the up Gog there. The Gog and Magog War. Right. Yeah. And what that means yeah. is that these are Muslim nations in conjunction with Russia that are going to move against Israel. Now just notice that pattern. Israel gets reborn, the Jews are streaming back to the Holy Land, and sometime after that there's going to be this big invasion. Well, the stage is being set in our own day for this big invasion. Watch out on the news. Russia already has an alliance with many of these Muslim nations. And by the way, Dave, you know that uh, Islam didn't even exist back in Ezekiel's day. You know, so people might have wondered back then, what do those nations have in common that would make them move against Israel? Them. Well, today yeah. we know. Well, what about signs other than Israel? Well, there's a number of things. For example, um, you know, in the middle of the tribulation, according to Revelation 13, we understand that the Antichrist is going to wield economic control over the entire world. The only way that he could ever do that is if there was a cashless society. Mm-hmm. If, the, if our society was still based on cash, then people could still buy things by cash. The only way he would be able to enforce you know, domination economically is if we had a cashless society. Well, that's where we're headed right now. That's a sign of the times. And there are other signs uh, uh, related to technology, like, for example, it says that the two witnesses in uh, Jerusalem are going to be killed, and they're going to be in the middle of the street, and the whole world is going to look upon them. Well, I think that the the, uh, the video of that's going to go viral all over the internet. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're going to be excited about those guys being killed. That's that's exactly right. Or and the and, natural and, signs. and then three days later, they're going to stand up, and they're going to say, yeah. any questions? <laughs> you know? <laughs> But, you know, all of these things are converging in our day. And there's other signs we can talk about. But the point is, what the ancient prophets said thousands of years ago are coming to fruition in our day. And you would have to be blind to ignore it. Yes. So we can't know the date, but we can know the season. That's exactly right. We shouldn't know, we don't know the day or the hour. Our Lord has told us that. But we can know that we're in the season of the Lord's return. And here's a warning for us. You know in Matthew 16 where Jesus told the Jewish leaders, you know, you can see that a storm is coming by looking at the sky, but you can't even read the signs of the times and know that I'm the Messiah. Uh You should be able to recognize that I'm the Messiah based on the Messianic prophecies. You've missed the signs of the times. That's a warning for each one of us. What you and I have to do is to understand what the signs of the times are of the end times, and then we need to watch to see if there are correlations in the world between world events and biblical prophecies. And if you do that, you come to understand that indeed we are in the season of the Lord's return. Nathan, let's get to another one here. All right, uh, debate four. This is fantastic. We're just flying. I love We're this. Flying. This is the biggie. I wish we did an episode on every one of these, but uh, this is important. And it says, which view of the rapture is correct? The rapture, of course, being the the taking of the church off this earth. Yes. We get people writing all the time debating us about, you know, they say, well, the rapture will happen uh, in the middle of the tribulation, or a popular one will happen before the wrath of God yes. comes, or the end of the tribulation. What is your view and why? Well, I believe that the uh, church is going to be raptured before the tribulation period, and it makes good sense for a number of reasons. First of all, if you examine all the Old Testament prophecies that deal with the tribulation, the church is never mentioned once. If you look at all the New Testament prophecies that deal with the tribulation, the church is not mentioned once. In 1 Thessalonians 1.9 and 1 Thessalonians 5.9, we are told that the church will be delivered from the wrath to come. Now there's a couple of points to make there. The wrath to come is not just general wrath that we all experience. Rather, it's a specific period of wrath. It is the wrath to come. And we're to be delivered from it. Now the Greek word for delivered there means to be snatched away from. Interesting. The church is promised to be snatched away from the wrath to come. 
And to me that goes right along with 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 through 17 where it talks about how Christians are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Christians are going to be snatched up to meet the Lord in the air. Now just think about it a minute. Doesn't the Lord have a long pattern of delivering His people before judgment falls? You know, God delivered Noah before the flood fell. He caught Enoch up to his side before the flood fell. The spies were out of Jericho before the judgment fell on Jericho. Lot was out of Sodom before judgment fell on Sodom. I mean, on and on we could go. And I think that in keeping with that, that God is going to rescue the church before His judgment falls upon the world. What is His judgment? Because some people say of the 21 judgments during the tribulation, only some of them are God's wrath and some are man's or some are Satan's. That is such fallacious thinking. Or some even say wrath means hell, therefore God will save us from hell but not all these judgments. Listen, there is man's wrath, but you've got to understand the context of Scripture because the wrath of God is expressed through man's wrath. That's right. How did God chastise the Israelites in the Old Testament? Through the Assyrians. The Assyrians were his whipping rod. You see, God can use human wrath as an expression of his own wrath. Absolutely. And the thing that we've got to realize is that uh, the church is not going to be judged twice for the same sins. Listen, friends, Jesus took my sin on the cross. Amen. He's not going to make me pay for that same sin again. Can you imagine a judge sitting there in his court of law looking down at a criminal and saying, I am taking all of your crimes upon myself and paying for them. You will not have to deal with any of your crimes. I'm taking them all on myself, but I'm going to send you to prison anyway for seven years. Will you be cruelly treated? (laughs) That wouldn't make any sense. (laughs) Why beat up on the bride of Christ, right? And by the way, isn't the rapture called the the blessed hope? Yeah, what hope is there if you have to live through 21 earth-shattering judgments? That's right. If you've got to go through that kind of stuff, how could it possibly be blessed? Well, another point that I always make is the fact that uh, Jesus says, watch for me. I can come at any moment. Watch for me. And I'm living, w- yeah. looking for it's the coming minutes. of Jesus. If I didn't believe in the pre tribulation rapture, I would be living, looking for the Antichrist, not Jesus Christ. Well, that's right. And really, what you're saying also relates to the wedding metaphor that is often used in terms of the, of the rapture. You know, in ancient weddings, there would be a, a man or a woman that would get betrothed, and then the man or the groom would go to his father's house to prepare a place in his father's house for them to live. And then at some undetermined time, the, the groom would come back to fetch his bride. Well, that's kind of a, a picture of the church. You see, we are betrothed to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ is now preparing a place for us in the Father's house, according to John 14. And at an undetermined time, He is going to take us from the earth to the place that He has prepared. Now, notice that in John 14. He takes the church to the place where He is. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't remain on earth like He does at the second coming. He takes us away from the earth to where He is in heaven. That's not post-trib, that's not mid-trib. That can only fit a pre-tribulational scenario. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. We have Dr. Ron Rhodes as our guest, and we're interviewing about his latest book, The Eight Great Debates of Bible Prophecy. Dr. Rhodes, we've done four of the eight. Could you name the other last four, please? Well, I try. I, you know, it's been a while since I wrote this book, but okay. I believe that uh, we deal with uh, how do you understand the book of Revelation? Correct. Uh, what's the uh, correct view on the millennial kingdom? Uh, what's the correct view on the uh, Antichrist? Uh-huh. And then I raise the issue, what are we to do about date setting? Is it okay to set dates or should we stay away from that? Okay. And so those are four controversies that have emerged in our day. 
Yeah, and I'm happy to talk about any of those. Well, good. Well, why don't you pick your favorite, and in the time we have remaining, just let's cover it. Well, why don't we talk about the uh, the idea that the uh, Antichrist could be a Muslim? We'll just touch on that really quick. Oh, that is a hot topic. That's a hot right button, and I actually know a number of the people that uh, write about this, as uh, both of you do. And uh, I have to say that uh, the, the people that write about this, I've found them very nice people, but oh, their yeah. theology oh, yeah. is just very, very bad. And uh, if I might put it this way, how would it be possible for the Antichrist to be a Muslim in view of what we know from Scripture elsewhere that's going to be true about the situation of the end times? For example, we know from Second Thessalonians 2 that the Antichrist is going to claim to be God, right? Absolutely. Now, what Muslim would ever claim to be God? That's, that's it, it completely goes against heresy. the Muslim tree, uh, creed. The Muslim creed says there's one God named Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. No good Muslim would ever say anything about that. And by the way, Dave, how would the Muslim world respond? They would kill him immediately. That, that's right. He would just, we uh, wouldn't have to take care of him. He'd be history. <laughs> that's exactly right. So though, that's an impossibility. And there's no way you can wiggle your way out of that. I've seen them try. The guys that are writing books on it, they try to argue their way out of it. But, I mean, it's worse than fiction. You, you can't wiggle your way out of that. Furthermore, how can it possibly be true that Israel would accept a seven-year covenant from a Muslim leader? Which you Daniel know, says is going to start the tribulation. That's going to start the tribulation period. And just look at the, sense, you know, the situation in Israel today. There has never been a time in human history uh, than there is like today where we have a situation where the, the leaders of Israel are suspicious of the, of the Muslim leaders of the world. They should be. You see, the Israeli leaders know that the Muslims want to push Israel into the sea. Uh-huh. They want the land back. They think that that holy land belongs to them because Allah promised it to them. So they want it back, and they're, they're willing to go to any means to get it back. They're not going to trust a Muslim antichrist on that. And furthermore, have you considered the fact that, that uh, Muslim prophecy is not cohesive? No. It's no. all over it's the map. Case. And when you read the books written by some of these uh, Christians that are setting forth this idea that the Antichrist would be a Muslim, it sounds like Muslims have a cohesive viewpoint and a coherent viewpoint. It's not the case. A lot of it's in tradition and it's, it's just not in the Quran, it's in the Hadith that. and the various sayings that they've kind of patched together. That's exactly right. So to me, uh, the case for Muslim Antichrist is weak at best, and I think it can even be deceptive. Because we're looking for the wrong things in the world. Well, not only uh, is it ridiculous to think that Israel is going to accept a peace treaty from a, a Muslim a leader, but to think that a Muslim leader is going to allow Israel to rebuild their temple. Right. Mean, that, that's not going to happen. No, that's not going to happen. And then you also have uh, the... the uh, you know, given the fact that their own holy temple is right there. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? right. Yeah. And, and then you have the statement over in Daniel that the Antichrist is going to rise from among the people who destroy Jerusalem that's in right. 70 AD, which were the Romans. That was the and, Romans. And the interesting thing is that the primary writer on this, who the, the primary guy who says there's going to be a Muslim Antichrist, in the first book he wrote he didn't even mention that verse. Yeah. And I called him. I said, what about? I don't even think he was aware of it. Well, he, he, or, or else he just wanted to ignore it. So then he came back and said, well, uh, the Roman legions were made up of people from the Middle East who were conscripted into it, so it really is the people of the Middle East. Listen, that's not true. But secondly, even if it were true, it is irrelevant because it was a Roman army under a Roman general under the command of the Roman Senate in Rome. 
That's exactly right. I mean, it's almost like you're reading it right out of my book because that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly my position. Well, speaking so of your book, I give you a hearty amen uh, on that. Your Northern Storm Rising, which is one of the best books on Ezekiel 38 and 39, oh, the you. Gog Magog War, has Russia and, and the Islamic nations destroyed by God, and then you place that at, but just before the tribulation. Well, see, period. I think that this. Would there, Islam even be a player in the tribulation? Well, here's the thing. Okay, now we've got yeah. several things that happened there right at the beginning of the tribulation. Okay. Okay. You got the rapture that takes place, which removes. Christians from planet Earth. Uh And then I also believe that this Ezekiel invasion could take place either at the beginning of the tribulation or maybe three and a half years before it. But God is going to take out those Muslim invaders. Now what you have there is that the two main people groups that would stand against the Antichrist false religion had just been taken out of the way. Uh That makes it very, very easy for the emergence of the false religion of the end times. Because as long as you've got the Muslims and the Christians on the Earth, those two groups would stand against that religion. But now they've been taken out of the way. And that just leaves the Jews, right? Which he beats on the Antichrist. That's right. And so to me it all just fits together like pieces on a puzzle. It really does. Isn't this a classic example of reading headlines into the Bible? And that's a major, been a major problem for years. It has been a major problem. And I always exhort people not to do that. The proper policy is to first find out what the Bible says about biblical prophecy. And then once you understand what the Bible says about not just the northern storm rising issue, but, you know, the Antichrist and Second Thessalonians and, you know, what the Bible says in the book of Revelation about the one world empire and so forth. Once you understand all that, then and only then do you watch the world to see if there are legitimate correlations. I think of the Puritans who 500 years ago were saying, the Bible says that the Jews are coming back and they're going to reestablish their nation. And people laughed at them, they ridiculed them, they mocked them, they took those scriptures and they completely spiritualized them to mean something else, and yet they meant what they said. And I remember when uh, uh, reading about C.I. Schofield, when he put together the Schofield Bible and he said in Ezekiel 38 and 39, he said, I don't understand this, I can't explain this, but it says that in the end times Russia which is a Christian nation, is going to invade Israel, which doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, here's another thing to think about. Russia already has set precedent for work, working with the Muslim nations yes. and standing yes. against Israel. We saw this, you know, uh, back in the Six-Day War, and we also saw this back in the 1970s where several Muslim nations, including Egypt, were invading Israel. And the muscle behind that and the intelligence behind that and the weaponry behind that came from Russia. Mm-hmm. So they've already worked together in moving against Israel. So if anybody expresses skepticism that that could happen in the end times, well, just look at history because it's already happened. Well, it's it's very easy to understand today. But when Schofield was writing back in the early 1900s, how could you believe that Russia, a Christian nation, is going to come against Israel that didn't exist? Well, that's right. Even as as, as late as the 1940s, there oh, were skeptics saying, "Oh, you guys are just absolutely." And even nuts. after Israel was established, people who were the scoffers said, "Oh, well, it won't. It's just here today and gone tomorrow." I mean, you it has no chance of existing. You know what's wonderful about all this? You know, there's people that attack you and me and, and all all of this in their magazines. You know, some of the preterists, for example. But I always like to be able to point to real events in real history that are illustrations of real prophecy. There's nothing like a prophetic stamp of, of biblical approval like that on your viewpoint. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. Ron, you have been a great blessing to us, and we really appreciate you being here. And listen, you are such an expert in defending the Christian faith. I'd like to invite you to come back next week and respond to some of the vicious attacks that Newsweek magazine has made recently on both the church and the Bible. Would you do that? I'd love to do that. And how about telling people how to get in touch with your ministry? Well, the easy way to do that is just to go over to ronrhodes.org on the internet. Stop by and visit.
Great. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Nathan Jones and myself saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Dr. Ron Rhodes' latest book is indispensable for understanding the major controversies surrounding the interpretation of end-time Bible prophecies. The book is titled, The Eight Great Debates of Bible Prophecy, and it specifically addresses the following issues. Should prophecy be interpreted literally or symbolically? Are Israel and the church separate and distinct entities in prophecy? What do the signs of the times tell us about the timing of the Lord's return? Which view of the rapture's timing is correct? How are we to understand the book of Revelation? Is the Antichrist a real person or a symbol for something? Dr. Rhodes addresses all these questions in an easy-to-understand manner, and he bases all his responses on Scripture. This book can be yours for a donation of $20 or more, including shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. We would like to invite you to attend our annual Bible conference, which is scheduled July 15th and 16th at a conference center in the Dallas, Texas area. The theme of this year's conference is Great Debates of Bible Prophecy. You can find more detailed information about the conference on our website at lamblion.com, or you can call our office at the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. The dates again are July 15th and 16th. Put the conference on your schedule and plan to be with us for an exciting two days of great Christian music, rich Christian fellowship, and dynamic Christian preaching. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.